We're beginning a new series today, a short series, just three weeks, uh, on faith, hope and love, as you saw on the image uh, that was up on the screen a moment ago. Um, it, it seems to me that people often talk about wanting to grow spiritually, um, but don't always know exactly what that would involve or what that means beyond that desire. But as I, as I read the Bible and I hear prayers of thanks for people's spiritual growth and prayers for people's spiritual growth, these three things, faith, hope and love, seem to come up as kind of the pillars of our spiritual lives. And so um, what we're going to be doing over these next three weeks is focusing on each of those three, one each week, faith, hope and love, with a intention that we will come to understand what this is better um, and that as a result we will be able to pray directed towards that end and 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 seek um, to grow in faith and hope and love. And so that's my prayer as we begin this series and as we go throughout it. And as you can see today, we are looking at faith and um, Hebrews 11 uh, seems like a good place to look at that. You notice how much um, those examples were given as living by faith. Uh, so that's what we're going to be looking at today. And um, as is our normal practice, we will have a question time at the end, so prepare for that as I finish. But let's pray as we begin. Heavenly Father, we do pray um, that as we read this part of your word together now, you will give us the eyes of faith, uh, that you will strengthen our trust in Jesus, that we might look to him uh, with greater clarity and confidence and live, as a result, lives of faith. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In the sequel to the book Alice in Wonderland, that is Alice Through the Looking Glass, Alice meets an interesting character by the name of the White Queen. And the Queen is trying to convince Alice to believe something that is quite clearly ridiculous. And Alice responds to her by saying, there's no use trying. One simply cannot believe impossible things. To which the Queen replies, I dare say you haven't had much practice. When I was younger, I always did it for a half an hour a day. In fact, sometimes I believed as many as six impossible things before breakfast. Believing impossible things. It seems to me that sometimes I think people think that's what faith is. Believing impossible things that we just need to manage to convince ourselves to conjure up somehow to believe something that we clearly know is not true or not possible. I think that's what many people think faith is. And in fact, that is quite a popular description. The celebrity atheist Richard Dawkins describes faith like this. He says, faith is the great cop-out, the great excuse to evade the need to think and evaluate evidence. Faith is believing in spite of, perhaps even because of lack of evidence. Faith is believing in spite of lack of evidence or even because of lack of evidence. Is that what faith is? Now, it seems to me that faith is pretty crucial, pretty central, as I said, to being a Christian. And so it's good to take some time to think about what that actually means and what it looks like to be someone who lives by faith, as we see in each of these examples. And as I said, it's my hope that as we look at this today, that it will grow us to be people of, of greater and more convicted, more confident faith. And there are two key points that we're going to look at today as we look at this topic of faith. And the first is that faith is living now for something that you can't yet see. 
or for something that you don't yet have. Living now for something that you can't yet see. Confidence, that is, about a future reality and that confidence affects the present. So that that future reality becomes the reality that I live for now, even before I have it. And you see that kind of gets introduced in verse 1. Verse 1 says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And then as we go through all the examples of these people who live by faith, what we see consistently is people looking forward to something that they do not see and so living now by faith in that future reality. So, for example, in verse 7, Noah. He was warned about things not yet seen. That's what his faith looked to. Or again in verse 10, Abraham looked forward to a city whose architect and builder is God. And verse 13, when it looks back on those examples that they've just given, all these people died before they received the things that were promised, but they saw and welcomed them from a distance. They didn't have it yet. It's off in the distance. Again, verse 26, Moses was looking ahead to his reward. Do you see how in each of these cases, faith involves looking forward to something that they didn't have yet or they couldn't see yet. And this aspect of faith, of looking forward to something in the future that you don't yet have, is actually really quite common. We do it all the time as we express faith, trust in, in the people around us, looking forward to something that we don't yet see. So let me give you an example. Each year, as Christmas is approaching and my side of the family is organising our family Christmas lunch, in the weeks leading up to that, we send around emails and messages to decide who's going to bring what food, right? And so I'm sure a lot of families do this. And so my brother puts up his hand and says, I'll bring roast beef. He cooks a pretty awesome roast beef, so I'm pretty glad when he says that. My mum my says she's going to bring roast pork. My sister-in-law is going to bring her famous lemon tart that everyone looks forward to. My sister says she's going to bring uh, this amazing spread of snacks that she does. And so as I see that, that list grow, this, this kind of awesome feast kind of grows in my mind as I think about it. But at that point, this awesome feast only exists as a promise. And so I don't see it yet, I don't have it yet, I think about it, but it only exists at that point as a promise. And so I'm trusting that they will do what they've promised, that they will provide what they've promised. And that trust, that faith, affects me in the present. That before I get there, I live with anticipation of that. And what that means is that I get excited as I look forward to, to that meal, as I think about it. And also, I don't have lunch before I go. I mean, how crazy would that be? If I say that I'm looking forward to this great feast, but I turn up having already eaten. And so I'm full. I, I, can't, I can't eat any of it. And I, you know, whatever reason I might give for that, you know, I, I wasn't really sure that they would make good on their promises. Or maybe I, I just got really hungry. And I couldn't wait, and so I had to eat something. But whatever reason, I, I, I'm not hungry then when I get to, to the lunch. You could hardly say that that is living with confidence in that future reality, living with trust in that future reality. That's what faith looks like. Confidence in a future reality that affects the present and affects how I live 
in the present, how I live now. Now, before I get on to kind of the next point of what faith is, I want to just clarify for a moment what faith is not, what it is not. Because this is not saying, as our friend Dr. Dawkins insists, that faith is believing without evidence. There's a very big difference between believing something without evidence and trusting in a future that I don't yet see or I don't yet have. Those things are quite different. And in fact, we do that second thing all the time again. We trust in something that we don't yet see, but we do so based on evidence. We have reasons for why we trust in that future that we don't yet see. In fact, I do this every day when I get dressed. Uh, you know, look at the, the weather forecast. You know, no one would say that when I decide whether I'm going to put a jumper on or take an umbrella or whatever, that 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 is some blind leap in the dark of faith. I mean, sure, I'm not out there with my barometer or whatever it is that I need to predict the weather. I'm not looking at that myself. But I still have reasons for why I trust what the weather is going to be like today. You know, I've got the track record of, of this weather report that they generally get it right. And the people who are doing it, they are qualified to be able to do these sort of things. These are my reasons for trusting in that future that I don't yet see in what the weather is going to be like. Or again, with my family Christmas lunch. When I trust that my family is going to deliver the goods when we get together for lunch that day, that's not some kind of naive, baseless leap in the dark, hoping that there might be some food there but have no good reason that there would be. No, I'm trusting them for good reasons. You know, they've done it before. I've tasted their cooking and it's pretty good. They're not, they're not going to poison me. They've got the resources they need to be able to do that. I know their character. They're not kind of, they don't have malicious intent. This is not some practical joke on me so that when I turn up hungry and looking forward to this great feast, they say, sorry, too bad. There's no food. We ate it all. These are my reasons for trusting what I don't yet see. I have reasons. And this is important to get right and to understand when it comes to our faith in God, that we look to a future that we don't yet see or that we don't yet have but that is not a blind leap in the dark. It's a confidence that is based on evidence. And this leads us to our second point about what faith is. That is, faith is trust in the one that you consider to be trustworthy. Faith is trusting one, someone that you consider to be trustworthy. And I think the best example that we see of this is Sarah in verse 11. It says, she trusted, she had faith, because she considered him faithful who had made the promises. She considered him trustworthy. Sarah considered God to be trustworthy. And so you see at that point, and this is quite crucial really, faith is not about me. Like with Alice in Wonderland and, and the White Queen, it's not about summoning up within me some kind of faith so that I can somehow believe something that is, that is not believable otherwise. No, faith looks outside of me to the one that my faith is in so that we can trust them because they are trustworthy. See, there's no merit, there's no value in trusting someone who is clearly untrustworthy. I mean, that's pretty much universally recognised to be not good but stupid. It's foolish to trust someone who is demonstrated to be untrustworthy. You know, that, that trust exercise that, that people do, the trust fall where you kind of fall back and you trust the person behind to catch you. 
Who's done that before? Surely a bunch of us. Yeah, that's right. That's not a good thing to do if the person behind you has demonstrated in the past that they are not trustworthy to catch you. you know, they're, not, they're not strong enough to catch you or they're just not interested in catching you. They don't, they don't really care. In fact, you look around and they're not even there. They've gone to you know, update their status on Facebook or something. That is not a good time to, to fall back and trust the person behind you. You should only trust someone who is trustworthy. Sarah trusted God because she considered him trustworthy. And that's what we are called to do too. We are called to trust God who has demonstrated himself to be trustworthy. That's the ground of our faith, the foundation of our faith. It's based on the character of God and the actions of God so, such that he has demonstrated that we can trust him, that he is trustworthy, that he is faithful to his promises. And particularly we see this in the death, the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. So in Jesus, we see God's love for us in action. This is where God puts his money where his mouth is. He makes good on his promises and we can see that. We have seen that. Jesus was the fulfilment of promises that God had made in the past. He made those promises and then he came good on those promises. And we can look to that as evidence that God is trustworthy. And particularly in raising Jesus from the dead. Jesus' resurrection is the real historical evidence that we can base our trust in. That his death really has defeated the power of death by taking the penalty of sin upon himself and so death no longer holds its power over him and so God raised him to life again. And the Bible says that that was the first fruit, the beginning the first indication of what will be true for everyone who trusts in Jesus, who is with Jesus, that death will no longer hold its power over us and so we too will be raised to life again. Jesus' resurrection was the proof that he is God's eternal king over the world, that he will never die. He has defeated death, that he will rule and judge the world with the righteousness and the justice of God. Jesus' death is the, is the evidence of the, sorry, Jesus' resurrection is the evidence of these things. And notice here that we are talking about something that has happened in the past, a historical event. And so it's something that we can actually look into and, and to assess the truth of, like we can with any kind of history. And people on both sides of the argument have recognized this. This is the evidence that makes all the difference. And because it's so significant, this is where Christianity has been attacked and defended for the last 2,000 years. Ever since day one, the very first Easter Sunday, those who were opposed to Jesus came up with an alternative story about his resurrection. Because they said, we can't have people believing this. And so they bribed the guards who were guarding the tomb to say that Jesus' disciples came and stole the body. And on that very same day, the very first Easter Sunday, the evidence of Jesus' resurrection was the thing that kept his followers from following him, from disbanding and stopping following him. In fact, like you notice in Acts, the followers of those other people, they disbanded when their leader was killed. That began to happen with the followers of Jesus until they saw him risen again. That was what made the difference. And that was what became the, the key point in their preaching about Jesus again, as Peter mentioned in Acts. 
God has raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. Yes, our faith is looking forwards towards something that we cannot see. We are trusting these promises of God, but it is a trust based on evidence. And so if I could just say for a moment, don't be afraid to look into the evidence. If you struggle with, with, with doubt, with uncertainties, we should have a trust that is well-grounded in the truth. And we can. So don't be afraid to look into these things. And that's part of the reason why we have question time in church, that we are people who are not afraid of the truth. In fact, we want to have the truth, to know the truth. But coming back to the bigger point... Ultimately, what these facts do is that they point us to the trustworthiness of God, that we can trust him. Yes, we look to the past to believe that certain things happened, but we still look to the future, to the things that haven't yet happened, things that we don't yet see. And so by very nature, we need to trust God about these things. The evidence for faith is about demonstrating that we can and should trust him. And so what we're beginning to see is that faith is fundamentally relational. I mean, this is true really of any kind of relationship. Trust is an exercise of, of relationship. You see it in, in marriages, in friendships, in, in families, in all kinds of in workplaces, in all kinds of relationships. And when it comes to relationships, this is exactly what God wants from us. He wants us to trust him, to draw near to him in faith to look to what we do see and we do know so that we trust him with what we don't see and we don't know. So faith is not just some cold, calculating thing where I've, you know, I've crunched the numbers, I've done the maths and I, I'm convinced that this is true and so I'll put my eggs in this basket. I mean, there are elements of that, but that's not the essence of faith. That's the grounds of faith, that the reason why we consider God to be trustworthy. The essence of faith is trusting in this trustworthy God, committing ourselves to trust him. In some ways, like with any relationship, trust expresses itself in the ways that we relate to, to them. And so does distrust. So trusting God will mean that we believe his promises. And when he makes promises to us, we believe them. It will mean that we heed his warnings. We go, this is a serious warning. I need to heed, heed this. It will mean that we are open towards God, not trying to kind of hide part of ourselves away from him because we are afraid of what he might see there. It will mean that we obey his commands. You know, if God says, do this and don't do that, if he says, this is good for you, that is not good for you, trusting him will mean that we heed those commands and that we obey them. For that's what Abraham did, right? When Abraham obeyed God's command to sacrifice his son Isaac because he trusted God. God had made promises that centered around Isaac and Abraham believed that God would make good on those promises, even if it meant raising him to life again. So trusting God will mean that we obey his commands. These are all aspects of relating to God in faith. We entrust our lives to him in all kinds of ways. So I thought I might just finish by trying to drill down into a couple of these aspects of what living by faith looks like. And I want to just drill down into three of these. And um, the one I think that I've really got to start with is that we trust God for forgiveness. We trust him 
for forgiveness. And we, we trust that he has opened his arms wide to welcome us into a relationship with him, that he does not hold against us those things that he should hold against us. And so we can come to him freely and with confidence. And so faith is coming to God on that basis and continuing to live towards God on that basis. And so, as I said, it, it means not trying to, to, to guard or hide certain parts of my life or certain part, things that I've done or certain things that I do because I'm, I'm afraid of what God will find there. It will mean that I'm willing to expose those things to God, as uncomfortable as that might make me feel, but trusting that he will forgive me because he's promised that he will. And it will also mean that in this same sense that I don't begin to have, I guess you'd say, a commercial relationship with God where I do certain things to earn God's favour. That's, that's the kind of thing that actually puts distance in a relationship, in any kind of relationship. And it's not how God wants us to relate to him. And in any event, we couldn't do that anyway. That's not faith. God wants us to trust him, to trust him for forgiveness. The second thing I want to drill down into briefly now is obedience. And this is really an outworking, a fruit of faith, that we obey him. As I said before, if we trust God, we will do what he says. Living God's way is an expression of faith. And so you notice that after all these examples in Hebrews 11 that we've gone through, all these people who live by faith, in the next chapter, in the beginning of chapter 12, when we are called to follow their example... He says to us, therefore, let us throw off the sin that so easily entangles. That's part of how we follow their example of faith. We trust God by bringing our sin to him for forgiveness, but also to trust him when he says, get rid of it, cast it off, throw it away. This is not good for you. This is not the life that I want you to live. Get rid of it. And so trusting God will mean at that point saying, okay, help me to do that. Not excusing it, not downplaying it, not justifying it, getting rid of it, casting it off. You see how there's no conflict here between confidence of forgiveness and a strong call to obedience. These are both aspects of living the life of trusting God. And finally, Coming back to the very first point that I, that I made at the beginning, that living by faith must mean being fully aware that we are living now for a future reality. That perspective must be the thing that sits in the forefront of our minds. That must be the thing, and in fact, that can only be the thing that keeps us going. And I have to admit that sometimes I find myself focusing, even in the Christian life, on the here and now. For the Christian life and in talking about the, the goodness and the benefits of the Christian life in the here and now. And, and there's good reason for that. The life that God calls us to live, the life of following Jesus, is the best kind of life to live. It leads to better relationships, better communities, better families, better friendships. But we do need to be careful not to have just a here and now goal for the Christian life, as, as if our goal is to live your best life now. It is not. Jesus tells us, in this life you will have trouble. That if you would follow me, you must take up your cross and follow me. 
that you will face persecution, that you'll face hardship, that you will give, have to give up the desires that you would otherwise have now for the sake of a future that God has promised, exactly like these examples of faith did in the Old Testament. We need to remember that our faith in Jesus is fundamentally about a hope for something that we do not see yet, something that we do not have yet. So we cannot have a view of this life that is simply just these 70, 80, 90 years, whatever it is that we have in this present life. We need to see the bigger picture. And faith gives us that. Trusting God gives us that. These promises of God are for that bigger picture. That's what we need. And that is the only thing that will keep us going in the life of following Jesus and trusting Jesus now. And so when your friends or your, your family or your colleagues mock you for your outdated or ignorant, your foolish beliefs, or when you see the people around you living the life that you would love to be living, chasing those dreams that, frankly, you also would love to chase, and they're loving it, but you've chosen to prioritise other things with your time, with your money, with your energy, for the sake of the kingdom of God, you've chosen that. Or when you're struggling with some sin in your life and you see the people around you just not even bothering to struggle. And they say to you, why bother? Just do it. It's so much better, so much easier. Just give in to it. Like these heroes of faith, we need to be people who are looking to a city whose architect and builder is God who are looking for a better country, a heavenly one, who are not looking back to what we've left behind, who are, have that vision of the feast that God has promised us and has prepared for us. No amount of willpower or self-determination will keep us going if we don't have that bigger picture. Faith is seeing that bigger picture because we trust the God who has promised it. And so we live for that now. Let's pray that we will. Heavenly Father, you have indeed made remarkable promises to us and we ask that you will help us to see with the eyes of faith, to know that this is the reality that you have prepared and to take hold of that now. Father, we ask that you will help us to cast off those things that detract, that, that deflect our attention away from those things and to live with a confident trust in that future that you have promised and prepared because we know that you who have promised it are faithful, that you keep your promises. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.